0: Hey, what's up, everyone? Sam Shaw here, founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I'm here with another client interview for you guys today. I'm excited to have Robin on with us today. And Pavin uh, just finished his uh, summer 2022 recruiting process recently. And so I wanted to get him on here to talk to you guys about how it went for him, share some tips and advice and just whatever thoughts uh, he may have about the process. For those of you who are Currently still going through recruiting. We're about to go through recruiting. So, uh, Pavan, thank you for taking the time to come on here and talk to us today.
1: Yep, no problem, Sam.
0: And uh, to start off, if you don't mind, um, maybe just introduce yourself a little bit so that people kind of get a sense for who you are.
1: Definitely. Yep. So, like Sam said, I'm Pavan. Um, I'm currently a rising senior studying statistics and finance at Case Western. I'll also be entering into the master's in finance program uh, at CASE. So effectively, I went through the 2022 recruiting process as a sophomore.
0: Got it. Okay. Makes sense. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because you just mentioned you're doing master's in finance. Uh, We'd love to talk about that a little bit um, since I know master's in finance Uh, They're pretty popular in Europe, I think, but at least in the States, uh, it's a relatively newer thing for most people. A lot of people know about the MBA, but not the Master in Finance. Can you talk a little bit about your decision or like how you decided to um, go out and get a Master in Finance after you graduate?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things um, at play in that decision. Um, but the, the biggest thing was basically, um, I was interested in investment banking. I, in my freshman year, I was studying pre-med, um, but had swapped out. So uh, I basically sort of lost out on a year of learning about finance, um, and even more so investment banking. So I came a little bit late into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that masters in finance really serves sort of two purposes. Uh, the first is to, um, a little bit more background and experience in in, uh, the sort of theoretical side, academic side of things. Um, But I think for me, the most important thing was that it gave me an extra chance to go through a recruiting process um, and break into investment banking.
0: Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Basically, you kind of reset. And since you missed out that first year, and this is so common nowadays, right? Where yeah. junior summer internship recruiting happens so early, pretty much you know, halfway through sophomore year is, is when recruiting starts. And if you weren't born into this world knowing that you want to do investment yeah. banking, a lot of times, by the time you even realize what banking is, you're kind of behind and it can be hard to come back from that, right? And so yeah. taking on a... And master's in finance programs, just so people know, uh, most of them are one-year programs instead of two years,
1: right? It's Yeah, it's one to two years, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so um, as opposed to MBA, which are mostly two years, you can find a one-year program. So you're going for school for five years instead of four. And then I think the other benefit of an MSF, which on my understanding, is um, you can kind of add it on as a fifth year to your undergrad immediately yep. without having to like for most top MBA programs, you have to go out, work for a couple of years first, get some uh, real world experience before the top MBA programs will accept you. But then that obviously pushes things out way, way, way down the road. Right. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, and I guess the last uh, piece of information for people about the master in finance before I move on is um, I think if you do a master in finance program, unlike the MBA program when you recruit for banking, you're still recruiting for an analyst position or you're going in as an analyst as opposed to at the NBA level, you're going in as an associate, right?
1: Right, right, yeah.
0: Okay, cool. So, I mean, for those of you that are listening, this this is potentially a good way, uh, like Pavan said, if you're kind of late to recruiting for whatever reason and you want to kind of reset the clock or, you know, go back a year, uh, this could be one thing to consider, right? The other thing that I've seen people do is um, they might delay their graduation by a semester or by a year and that kind of has the same effect. So um, obviously with this, you get an extra degree. So yeah, there's the pros and cons. Cool, so um, take us back to kind of like the beginning. I mean, when when did you realize, but it sounds like you realized your sophomore year that you wanted to do banking as opposed to pre-med? Is that what happened?
1: Yeah, that, that's more or less what happened. So, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, freshman year was uh, pre-med. Towards the back end of it, I was uh, I realized that I didn't want to go into medicine. Um, so over the summer, sort of transitioned over with an internship that was um, sort of in the middle. Um, caught is a nice little hybrid between medicine and business. Um, but at that point. I was starting to look more into the business and finance world to see what career options were out there. And by the start of my sophomore year, I was kind of full force um, trying to make things happen Got in it. terms of breaking into investment banking.
0: Got it. Okay. And what, um, so what were you doing? Uh, what were you doing um, for your recruiting? Like once you found out, you know, yeah how did you go about it um on your own in terms of preparation and figuring out how to break in uh, were there a lot of other students from case western who also were trying to get into banking or have gone into banking or what was the environment you?
1: yeah yeah no that's a good question um so case is definitely uh i would say non-target we are doing better in the most recent years about getting uh, a stronger presence in the middle market, but overall, you know, um, we're still a non-target. So uh, we send, when I was starting this process, we were probably sending maybe two to three people a year into IB um, and really maybe one person that was actually like hitting, you know, a bull record or a elite fatigue. Um, but for the most part, it's just middle market. So uh, the process was relatively, uh, it it was very difficult for me to understand the landscape. Um, I knew that I needed to network, but in terms of how to actually do that, uh, it took a while before I understood the process. And even then, it was still very uncomfortable. Uh, I'm sure as, you know, many people can attest to when you first started off it's uh a little bit uncomfortable to be doing cold calls and all that type of stuff yeah. um but even more so from a non-target where you really are trying to figure things out more or less alone yeah got it so
0: it sounds like two to three people per year in the banking you know, which is not a lot um how big is uh how big is your class at case western brother like how big is the school
1: yeah so the school i believe is uh about 5000 maybe 5,500 students in total uh, as the undergrad class. Um, So a little bit over, across the four years, yeah. So uh, around a thousand, a little bit more than a thousand students per class size. Yeah.
0: Okay, So it's a a pretty small school basically. Yeah, yeah. Got it, okay. So you're coming from a small non-party school, not a lot of people going to banking every year. Uh yep. probably not a whole lot of alumni you can reach out to on Wall Street either.
1: Right. No. Yep.
0: Okay. So then like what what did you do then? Like starting out, you know, you're trying to figure this out, trying to get the lay of the land. You knew you needed to network, but you don't even know how to go about it. And there's just not a lot of there's not like really like a built-in network. It's not like you go to a Wharton or a Harvard, yeah. or something like that. So what were some of the things that you tried?
1: Yeah. So I think the biggest thing was I didn't fully understand the importance of like networking um, until a little bit later on. And so I thought that I could sort of get by on technical merits. So joined um, a few of the investment clubs at Case um, and tried to just get familiar with sort of the process of pitching and um, understanding how like DCFs, um, sort of the mechanics of of different financial modeling techniques worked. Um, So for myself, I think that I was better, I I was further ahead in terms of my technical prowess than, you know, knowing anybody in the industry. By the time that I was uh, sort of cold calling and cold emailing people, I had a, a rough list of sort of questions that I wanted to ask Um, those professionals. Um, But it was, uh, like I said, it was rough. Um, I had a very, the transition between questions was not very fluid. Um, And oftentimes I would, oftentimes I I felt like the conversation went okay, but not uh, very great. And uh, looking back, looking back on the conversations that I had this past year, and even um, over the summer following my sophomore year, um, I can look back on those, those sophomore year conversations and say that they did not go as well as they had uh, more recently. Mm, got
0: it. Okay. Um, that's, an interesting, uh, that's an interesting point that you bring up because I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this right now and they're probably in that same boat where they've been trying to network. They are asking you know, this list of questions that they've kind of prepared ahead of time or that they think they're supposed to be asking and a lot of these conversations just feel like they're okay or kind of mediocre and don't really know where it's going um what changed for you like it it sounds like you were able to turn it around and get better at having these conversations but like was that like a change in approach or a change yeah. said or what 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 did you do exactly to kind of flip the switch?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a couple of things. So the first thing, and I think maybe depending on how you look on it, either the easiest or the hardest thing is sort of credentials. Um, coming off my freshman year, I only had things related to medicine, um, things that were not at all relevant to or interest. You know things that would not stand out to a a finance professional. And so over the course of my sophomore and junior years, I was able to add more things that were relevant. So internships at a private equity shop, internships at a wealth management shop. So things that could at least catch some interest if the the person that I was emailing or trying to talk to opened my resume they could at least see that, you know, maybe I knew what I was talking about. Maybe I was showing some interest. Um, So that was one thing. Um, I think the two bigger things though, were, uh, yeah, there was a change in mindset and there was a sort of a change in approach. So the change in mindset was, um, going from someone who didn't, who was just trying to understand and like figure sort of feel things out. It's kind of a uh, bumping around in the dark and trying to ask questions that were very broad and vague. Um, and then that developed into trying to ask more sort of directed questions, asking more about the, the professionals and trying to understand their actual experience rather than just trying to learn about, you know, how things fit together in the finance world. So that was one thing. I guess it was just a, a difference in confidence in what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing, and the thing that I would I would say was probably the most impactful in sort of making conversations go my way was uh, towards the end, always making sure to ask for you know ask for something make an ask not just have be on a call and just be asking random questions about like information um, but finishing up the call with some sort of meaningful trying to get something out of the conversation so um, I'm sure the the students that join your program will hear it a bunch but always asking for additional names always asking for maybe a a resume to get pushed something like that Um, and that was the biggest difference in approach really making sure your name stuck with the person you were talking to
0: um,
1: and then having something to sort of follow up on later on when you wanted to reach out to them again when it was actually more important.
0: Yeah that's really really great advice by the way Um, so hopefully you guys are all paying attention but uh, I think the things that you kind of talked about just now though they're also kind of all related right because you know you talk a lot of people don't think about it by the way but you first talked about when you said what helped you improve your network and the first thing you talked about was your credentials and people don't even think about that right people think like oh i need a better resume so that you know i can apply and get more interviews but in reality it's very rare especially with the top banks that you're going to apply and just have your resume selected because you have such an amazing resume because they get way too many amazing resumes right and so really having the the real benefit of having a better resume is that people are going to be more inclined to talk to you versus when you had just a bunch of medicine stuff on there. When you reach out, people are probably like, eh, I'm kind of busy. Like, I don't know if I, you know, have time to talk to this kid who seems to have nothing to do with finance. Right. Uh, Yeah. But also like even you talking about making an ask in the end, well, at the end of the day, you can make an ass all you want, but if they don't feel like you're qualified, um, it doesn't matter how much they like you. Like nobody wants to stick their neck out for someone who, again, looks like crap on paper or is going to be a hard sell to the firm. Like, Hey, you should totally talk to this guy, even though he goes to a non-target school and has no relevant experience whatsoever. Like nobody wants to be that guy
1: right yeah yeah exactly so
0: you have to make it uh easy for them to do what you want them to do or else if you're just coming out and making all these demands or requests um all it's going to do is make things awkward right yeah because people hate saying no so if if you if you make an ask and they don't want to do it or if you ask it not in the right way um they're basically going to have to either make things awkward and say no, or kind of like jujitsu their way out of it, or yeah. going to have to uh, just lie to your face and say, yeah, sure. Uh, send me a resume and I'll pass it along to whoever. And they just do nothing.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was one thing that was, you know, good about your program. Um, this might be a little bit long winded, but I'll, I'll get to the point eventually. Um, <laughs> Yeah, when you're not uh, well qualified, then those professionals that you speak to are kind of—they're either going to say no outright, or what I found more often was they'll try and sort of you know back out of it, um, be relatively polite, um, but you know, end up having the conversation go nowhere. Um, but the thing is, you know, even if you go to a target school, even if you know you're coming in with some good credentials, you do have to go through that awkward first step of networking where you're going to get way more rejections than you are later on. And so the point of this was that something that was beneficial with your program is that, you know, you're joining, or yeah, you're joining a community of a lot of people that are like-minded and everybody's sort of on top of each other and trying to push each other to, you know, get, you know, five networking calls, five, 10, whatever, however many networking calls done a week. So you can get past that, uh, high rejection uh, rate uh, point of the networking and really get into the more quality conversations.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think cannot overstate the impact of being in the right community and being in the right group or surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals, right? Um, especially coming from a school that's only sending, you know, two or three students in the banking each year. It's like, who are you supposed to talk to about this stuff? You know, and
1: yeah.
0: And sometimes yeah. recruiting can feel very, very lonely, right? Like it's yep. such a grind, and you're going through the process and you're reaching out to all these bankers, and you're actually like you're either not getting responses, you're getting ghosted, or you're getting responses in the conversation going nowhere. It's just it just sucks to go through it alone and seeing other people around you who are kind of doing the same thing and not only that but you're doing well at it and you know that hey these guys are doing it and i'm following the exact same steps and same processes as they are i think inherently it just gives you more confidence that hey like i'm on the right track right and, and yep. that, can, that can make a huge difference for just your your mindset and your mentality right and even just your confidence um so I think yeah. that's a great point um on the note of kind of like credentials and making yourself more qualified um so obviously I think you joined um you joined Wall Street Mastermind back in like October of 2020 if if I'm not mistaken Um, yeah I
1: think that sounds about right
0: yeah right around there I think so um then I think since you joined after you joined um I think the first internship you got after joining was uh, the private equity internship that you did, right? Correct. Yeah. Got it. And so that obvious that obviously helped a ton. Um, and like what do you, how, how big is that P fund? Do you know?
1: Uh, I believe it's five, five and a half billion assets under management.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I so, think that's all right, because I mean they've been Riverside, they've been around for a long time. I think they've been around yep. for well, I don't know decades at least, right? Um, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. I
0: their website they have thirty plus years of experience, more than six hundred fifty investments made. Okay, so pretty pretty strong track record. Um, people are probably wondering though, how were you able to get an internship during the school year at such a <laughs> solid private equity firm coming from like a non-target school like? Is there something magical that you did there or how did
1: yeah. you approach it? So uh I mean this is that it just really has to do with leveraging what networks exist. Um so the way that I was able to land that internship was that there's a professor at Case Western who um has been around in the finance world. He started uh his career at Morgan Stanley. Uh, ended up being a vice president there, left to join uh, a private equity firm, not Riverside, but some other firm, um, before retiring. Um, and now he's currently teaching, as well as he, he's on a, a the, he's on uh, the board for a number of different private companies. So he has a lot of connections. Um, uh, and the way that I got Riverside was just by pretty much asking him, you know, showing that I was a pretty strong student in his classes, um, staying attentive, and then using that avenue to enter into it. Um, So it's just about keeping your eyes open and knowing what avenues for success there are um, within whatever community you're in. You know, exactly what we've been saying throughout this call, case is pretty small. There's not a whole lot of presence on Wall Street or anywhere else. Um, but Riverside's headquarters are in Cleveland, and so you got to just know where to to roll the dice. Um, yep. I, I didn't make many plays for New York offices uh, in this recruiting cycle or in my previous recruiting cycle. Um, so it's just about knowing where to where to look. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think the biggest takeaway I have there though is really like thinking outside the box on. How you network and who you network with, right? Because I think one of the first things we uh, talk about when it comes to networking in, in our program, obviously, is how do you widen the top of your funnel, right? Yeah. I think everybody out there, most of the time when they're thinking about networking, everyone's like, oh, let me just reach out to alumni on LinkedIn. So <laughs> everyone's right. Doing, right. Well, what the hell do you do if you go to a school that doesn't have that many alumni, then? You're gonna be done in like a day if you're just all you're using out to alumni on LinkedIn. So, obviously, through White and Top Funnel, we go through like the brainstorming the exercise where you know there's like probably forty plus different things that we listed out. Like, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about yeah. this? And like obviously, going to your professor, that's one of the things that you could do that most students just aren't even doing, right?
1: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: And so, that's uh, that's awesome that you're able to do that. Um. And so once you join Wall Street Mastermind, so, you know, cause you were, I mean, you finished recruiting, we're in June now, but you finished recruiting probably in like April. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I've already and, forgotten when I got the offer, but yeah, I think uh, towards the end of April was, it sounds about right.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got a couple offers, but I think your last offer was probably, I want to say like April or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, it's kind of like uh, I would say like a six month period where mm-hmm. you know from the time you join Walshy National until you finish recruiting. But like, what what were you doing inside of Walsh mind during those six months? And like, can you just kind of walk people through that at a high level? We don't have to get like super into the weeds, but what were you doing? And like, what really changed for you? I guess like what was what was the difference between what you were doing on your own before and and what you did after uh, and actually maybe even before that like
1: um
0: what made you even want to join back in october when you first sure. kind of connected with us
1: yeah yeah so um i'll answer that question those set of questions sort of in reverse i'll start off with the uh, why i even joined um the reason that i joined was because i had gone through the recruiting process uh, to try and get a position for where summer of 2021, um, and it went very poorly. Um, I basically had one interview with KeyBank uh, in Cleveland, and I did not receive an offer. So <laughs> um, I was basically a little bit panicked and just trying to figure out ways to actually make it happen. Um, and thankfully, I saw a post uh, from Sam, related to wall street mastermind. I saw that a few people that I knew were, um, putting their names, um, in the comments to be sort of reviewed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I put my name down and, uh, you know, followed up with Sam and here we are now. Um, but yeah, that was the catalyst basically being unsuccessful in a process where I thought I had done well. Yeah.
0: Um, I guess on that note though, so, as uh, so you saw, it's probably like a post on LinkedIn or something. And then yeah. you, you reached out, we connected. Um, uh, you spoke to someone. I think you spoke to Jen in the beginning, if I'm not mistaken. But yep. um obviously though, like as you talk to us and you're evaluating this program as something that may or may not be able to help you. I mean, God knows there's so many programs out there
1: nowadays
0: yeah. to potentially help you get investment in the summer great and some are honestly a lot of them are not so good right and so how do you know if this is actually a program that's going to help you or how, how like what gave you the confidence that yeah this this I think could work or well most likely I mean obviously nothing's 100 percent nothing's guaranteed but like how, what gave you that confidence as opposed to saying like oh this is just another I don't know washed up banker who's like, <laughs> pedal,
1: you know, pedal yeah, yeah. invalid advice to a college students. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll, I'll be really honest here. A lot of the information, I mean, you can, you can find online. Um, but the thing that really gave me the confidence about what was the differentiating factor was actually speaking initially with uh, Jen. Um, I believe she also came from a non-target and she got into, i don't remember where but it was it was a pretty good pgt right
0: yeah
1: yeah so uh, very solid bank so i could sort of see myself in her shoes non-target to um a strong bank um and that was really what gave me the confidence um it's very easy to sort of or it's it's hard to see non-target it's it's very difficult to view non targets getting into prestigious banks. You you see just tons of posts saying it's very difficult. Um, You can do it, but you have to put in, you know, a whole lot of work. And that's true. I had to do that. I'm sure Jen also had to do it. But it's a different experience reading it online, but then, you know, actually talking to the person. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's what gave me the confidence. Um, Over time, actually being in the program, um, seeing the number of bankers that were actually helping out, um, just sort of, um, verified my presence in the program. Yeah. Um, but that was the initial thing, being able to actually talk to people that were in the same position as me. Got it.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, for our listeners who don't have the context, you know, Jen, uh, also went to the program prior to Colin, and, uh, like you said, you know, came from a non target and was able to get into PJT, which is an elite boutique and very hard to get into. And, uh, you know a very similar story like came into a sophomore year didn't have any finance experience had to build up with credentials so i think there were like a lot of similarities there um, and so obviously being able to see someone else do it gives you more belief that you can do it which again just goes back to the point we made earlier about being in the right environment and kind of yep. i mean honestly this is the other thing like nowadays where do most people get their information about what else make including? I would say Wall Street Oasis, right? Yeah. But i got to be honest, like, I- I've been on those forums. Like, it's it can be a toxic environment on there, right? Meaning, like, especially for a non-target school kid, there's just a lot of doubts because yeah. a lot of the students and even people who aren't students on there will have you believe that, oh, if you're, if you don't go to Harvard, Princeton, Yale, or or, then, you know, you, and you don't have a 4.0 GPA and have like, you know, three investment banking administrators, then uh, you pretty much have no chance, right? Or like, right, right. that's like the line of thinking, or it's like, Goldman Sachs robust. Like, if you don't go get into a Goldman, then it's not even a real bank or, you know, whatever. Right. It's just like, you can immerse yourself in that and just have all these negative thoughts that aren't really helping you at all. Or... Like, if you're in the right environment and it's other people who are similar to you and have all those obstacles and other people who have also been told that they can't do this stuff, yet they still did it, it's just a, that that's a very positive thing or it can be a very positive thing for you because now you have a frame of reference and you, you have that belief, right? And a lot of times, yeah. like, being able to do something starts with the belief. Like, if you if you believe you can... You're probably right, but if you believe you can't, you're probably also right, right? And it's like that—that's yeah. half the battle. And so, you know, I think that's a—it seems like a small thing there, but I just really want to emphasize, like, it's like, yeah, there's so many, there's so many successful uh, case studies inside of all sheet management already of people who just overcame supposedly impossible odds that. It's, it's no longer really a thing anymore, right? And, yep. and, I, and by the way, don't get me wrong. I'm not even saying that the people on Wall Street o- Oasis are being malicious intentionally. I don't think they are. I just think that when people say what they say online or just in general, most people are just talking about their own experience, right? Most people are, they're telling you what they believe to be true through their lens, through their view of the world. And in their world, they don't know anyone who came from a small non-target school who successfully broke into investment banking. So that's why they're telling you it's impossible. But yeah. that doesn't mean that no one's ever done it. It just means that they're not in that corner of the world. And you got to find, you got to figure out how you can put yourself in the right corner where there's a lot of people are doing what you're trying to do. And that way, like you have the right view of like what reality actually is. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, that's super important, man. Um and so okay, so so that's what kind of gave you the confidence to join. Because you see your yep. association with Jen. So that makes a lot of sense. And then I guess coming back to the other question, um, like what what was different once you joined Wall Street National? Because like one common question that a lot of people have is like, well I can't just do this on my own. Like I mean what are you guys doing that's so different? Isn't everything already on google or on wall street oasis or on i don't know mergers and inquisitions like i could just find everything on my own right
1: yeah yeah
0: why, why invest in something like this
1: yeah so um to those people i mean it's already a very difficult process even more time consuming if you're from a non targets um and if you i mean if you really want to do that's Uh, go for it. It is possible to do everything on your own, Um, but I'd say the biggest things that, the biggest reason, the biggest benefits for me um, joining Wall Street Mastermind were two things. The first thing was just having a group of people that were monitoring every single application that ever got uh, posted instantly. Um, So, there was no ambiguity about timelines. You kind of knew exactly when everything was coming out, um, when to start networking more, you know, more directly and asking for resumes to be pushed, um, and things like that. And that's just a huge time saver on your end when you're trying to focus on networking, building connections, and actually, you know, practice technicals, all those things. So that was one of the biggest things, just being able to save time on that front. The other thing, um, which was the biggest value add. Uh, was again, having finance professionals, ex bankers, um, and, you know, people that had experience in the area, talk to you every week, um, set up this office hours and pretty much coach you through how you need to say things, um, when you're talking to other finance professionals, either when you're networking or even when you're interviewing, Um, I would say that I knew a decent amount about in terms of behaviorals and in terms of technicals before entering the program, but it was, I was running into mistakes in terms of delivery. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where the biggest, like, that's where the biggest benefit was Um, because I came from case or because I'm at case, even if I set up mock interviews with, you know, Our career development department, or you know, even with other people that I got offers, and I go through my answers. Sometimes the feedback that they give is still like incorrect, you know. Um, Not to say that the answers are wrong, but just the way that they're said. Um, So that was the biggest help in terms of the actual way that I went about improving on um, my answers in the interviews and as well as in uh, actual conversations.
0: Yeah, that's um that's a really interesting point because you're right. A lot of people naturally their first reaction is like, well, let me go to the career center, or let me ask an upperclassman uh to help me, right? Um, and obviously you should do that. There's no there's no conflict there. I'm not saying oh if you do all yeah. your, you don't do the other. You should do. You should leverage all the resources that you have. But on your point about delivery, though, I want to make sure people understand what that means because we always say. Uh, it's not just people are so focused on like what you say, but it's not just about what you say. It's about more importantly how you say it. Right? Like yeah. Two different people can try to say the exact same thing, and one person can sound so much better. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's all your interview is going to remember is like not even what you actually said, but just how you make them feel when you said whatever you said. Right?
1: Yeah. Like I think I like to point to like sort of. And this is looking at the technicals, but um, my delivery of like, walk me through a DCF is probably one of the biggest things that changed. So in my first recruiting cycle, I started with, you know, forecast out whatever amount of time, and then I'd go into uh, really too much detail, for lack of a better word. And then after going through the program and understanding what what I actually need to say, Um, it was much more condensed and gave the interviewer more room to sort of have a conversation Um, and so yeah I mean that's just one example of of how delivery changes for the better
0: and I mean in case people are wondering how we do that it's like yes we do teach you all the technical concepts you need to know, for example, like, what is the DCF, How do you, like, how does it work and all that? So obviously first, before you can explain everything, you need to have an understanding of how everything works. But also um, we actually have like mock interview exercises within our modules where of course you're trying to answer these questions to see if you actually retain the knowledge that we just try to teach you but also you can then compare your answers to like our recorded answers which are like kind of the ideal answers right for how a banker would answer these tested questions and so you're not just trying to come up with these answers on your own trying to figure it out but you can basically compare and contrast this is how i've been answering it this is how sam answered it and right? he's asking you like What is the difference? And in the case of the PCF, it was probably like, oh, wow, Sam's answer was a lot more concise. Okay, but like having something like that to model your answers after, I mean, your career center is not going to give you that, right? Yeah. And your upperclassmen, maybe, maybe not, but really I would venture to say your upperclassmen probably wasn't even that much more knowledgeable than you were. Like they're just, you know, one slight step ahead of you. they just... They were one year older, they went to putting one once, right? And it wasn't yep. a super expensive. So but having that, having something to emulate, that's how you're able to identify what you should be changing. Because a lot of times you're like, well, can I figure everything out on my own? Yeah, you can, but usually when you do that, it's really hard to identify what you're doing wrong or what areas you still need to improve in. Because heck, if you could do that, then you wouldn't be delivering your answer that way in the first place, right? It wasn't like right. when you were going through recruiting, you were trying to, you know, not give the best answer you can, right? And so, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's true on the technical side, but it's probably even more true on the behavioral side, right? Because on the behavioral yeah. side, there isn't even a standard answer where it's like, hey, if you say X, Y, and Z things, then it's a good answer. Like everybody's answer is different. So exactly. When you come up with your stories, how are you supposed to know if that story is what the bankers want to hear? It's just to a lot of people it seems so subjective, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so on the behavioral side, like, what, what, what do we do exactly in the program that you know you felt was helpful?
1: Yeah. So, in terms of the behavioral,s it's just about the biggest thing is sort of creating this sort of roadmap. I don't know if that's the best word for it, but even though everybody's story is unique, um, there are things that sort of stand out to whoever you're talking to, um, and you want to make those things be more pronounced. I think one thing that was that changed over time with my delivery was sort of um, I had the the order of things mixed up, so. Uh, previously I said, I was saying things like I had this experience and it showed that I was interested in this thing. Right. And, um, we flipped the order and that, that got a lot more positive results, basically saying I had this interest. And so I sought out this opportunity and now, and now I got that opportunity. And so I was able to excel in that fashion. Right. So it was just, these small things that you're tweaking that like when you're building your answers on your own, you'll have all of the things that you're going to say or that you want to talk about and they're all—they're going to be there, right? And it, it won't change all that much over time. The actual content won't change that much. But just slight delivery changes and how you present your story will have a dramatically um, improved impact on the person that's listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know nobody wants to hear a laundry list of like, oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. People wanna hear a story. And so creating that story that's actually intriguing, is, it's, it's much more difficult than it might seem at the, at the onset.
0: Right. I think you, you, you made a really good distinction there about content and delivery once again. I think a lot of times we find in our experience, having worked with hundreds of students, The one thing in investment banking that most people feel like they don't need that much help in is on their behavioral research. People always think, oh, I need a lot of help on technicals. Oh my God, I need I need help on networking. Like I don't know how to get referrals. You know, oh, I need help with resume and getting more relevant experience. And when you ask about behaviorals, everyone's like, oh no, I'm pretty good on behaviorals. Like I I know what I'm gonna say, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Of course you know what you're gonna say because you know what you've done in the past and those are the things that you're going to be talking about but that's not the point the point is how do you talk about the things that you've done in a way that is actually compelling to the investment bankers and to your point sometimes that's like ordering things the right way like sequencing matters i always say it's like if you're baking a cake you can have all the right ingredients but if you don't put them in in the right order that the recipe tells you to put it in uh your bake is probably not going to come out right Okay. Yeah. Um, but also, some other examples might be like you know, what not not even just what to talk about, but what not to talk about, right? Because sometimes yeah. people tend to ramble or they include too much detail, but they don't know they're doing that. But well, you yeah. will not know you're doing that unless someone else who has interviewed a lot of candidates tells you like, "Hey, nobody cares about this." Kind of like right. put this part out. Or sometimes you say too little, and you're like. You just touch on something and you feel like that's enough and you need someone who's done a lot of interviews to tell you like, hey, they're going to want to know more about this. Like, You got to yep. elaborate more on this, right? And so, and of course, once in a while too, it's just like, no, 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 you're using the wrong story, period. Like what's yeah. your greatest weakness? And you said, oh, my greatest weakness is I have too much attention to detail or I'm just such a perfectionist. And then you need right. somebody like, yo, that's a bullshit weakness. Yeah, yeah. Who's going to buy that, right? And so there's a lot of things that are kind of nuanced that can actually, you know, go wrong with your behavioral answers, even if to you, it may seem like nothing's wrong with it, right? And that's where having an expert opinion and someone who's not yourself, but a third party who can identify your blind spots for you, that's the biggest difference uh
1: between
0: getting our help versus doing it on your own
1: right yeah and i think it just comes back to how like competitive it is to break in right so you can find all this information about like the very obvious landmines like saying you know a bs um weakness those are things that you can see online and it's like oh now i know to never do that um i think a lot of people like sort of inherently know that that's not a smart decision to make but if you ever had any doubts, <laughs> then there's lots of resources online that'll tell you not to. Uh, but there's far less resources telling you about sort of uh, small details and how to adjust your answers to get the best result possible.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like the online resources, they're more one size fits all. Like, they're not personalized. Like, no yeah. article you find is going to say, by the way, Pavan, your story specifically, this this part needs to change in this way they don't know where your story yeah. is right like you gotta be able to talk to a human being to figure that out and not just any human being but like someone who's qualified and also is willing to spend the time to actually take a fine comb through everything you're saying right which is kind of what we do um so that makes a ton of sense man um i guess <clears throat> all in all it sounds like a lot of things are <clears throat> changing i mean your networking approach changed, you became more qualified on paper, you got relevant internships, you changed your delivery in terms of how you answer your questions, technicals, behaviorals. Um, And so those are kind of like the main components to being more successful in recruiting. And so can we kind of just um, put the cat out of the bag, like what ultimately in the end, like, I guess, first thing, how many offers did you end up getting in this second go around?
1: Yep. (laughs) So I ended up getting two offers uh, this time around, Uh, one from KeyBank in the the group that originally rejected me last year, um, interviewed again this year and got the offer this time around. Um, So that was interesting. And then um, I also got an offer from Guggenheim. So I accepted the offer from Guggenheim.
0: Right. Um, That must have felt good uh to be able to reject the people that rejected you last year <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: i mean uh, i didn't think too much about it Um, uh, it was just a matter of you know fits um
0: yeah. i was totally kidding no
1: no bad blood there yeah,
0: I, I was totally kidding but uh, you know like sometimes some people have a not you but sometimes some people have like a chip on their shoulder They're like i'm gonna stick it to these guys but no i mean like obviously taking yeah. <laughs> guggenheim over keeping is nothing personal so it's like guggenheim is the The more, it's it's the better bank. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Like it's you know, elite boutique versus uh, middle market bank. Um, but I do want to. I mean, that that is uh that is really good validation though. In that it's the exact same bank and exact same group, one year apart, and you went from being rejected the first time to them accepting the second time. Um, was that like? I am curious though, like how was that experience um, interviewing with the same group two times in a row? Because a lot, of, a lot of students sometimes ask me, like, "Hey, so if I apply last year and I got rejected, does that mean that you know I'm I have no shot again with that firm with that group if I apply?" Yeah. Again? And obviously, in your case, the answer is no, it doesn't, right? But like. Did that ever come up when you recruited with them the second time? Like, did they remember you, or were, what are you doing here again? You know.
1: So, um, no, it didn't. Nobody that interviewed me the first time interviewed me the second time, okay. which was, I don't know, it might have just been, it was a difference in timeline. I think that was the biggest thing. So the first time, I was in sort of the standard process, mm-hmm. um, and the second time, I was in an accelerated timeline. I have no idea why the difference is or or what they changed about the process and what led to that difference in timing. Um, I it it just, guess. Yes, (laughs) sure, sure, yeah, yeah. I guess, I I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Usually
0: um, usually they'll put the the higher priority candidates in the more accelerated timing. Yeah. Because they wanna get to you before the other banks get to you right yeah yeah um but okay so you were in a, the accelerated time on this time so, so interviewers.
1: yeah so there are different people um interviewing me um it did come up that i had interviewed in the previous year um but it wasn't too big of an issue i would say it was a concern of mine that like i was interviewing for the same bank same group um but Ultimately, it came down to, to this. Like if you're going in to a recruiting cycle um, in a different year and you have nothing different or you there's literally nothing different about you, that's when you should be the most worried. Um, but I knew that the first time I recruited, it wasn't like the best version of myself or the most qualified version of myself.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so when I was interviewing with them Uh, this most recent cycle, um, I was confident that I had improved substantially. Mm -hmm. And so if it ever came up, it was more of sort of a, you know, just a conversation piece. Like, Hey, I I interviewed with you guys last year and um, I understand what my weaknesses were at at that point. I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, If you're going to continue, or if you're going to try to go for the same group and same organization uh, twice in a row you have to know what your weaknesses were that first time and be able to prove that you've improved on yourself in some manner and I knew that that was the case for myself so it didn't really concern me all that much yeah
0: that's uh, that's really really good advice um, I usually like to end these interviews on uh, by asking you for a piece of advice but I think you just kind of gave a really good one so um, in fact, if you're able to in an interview acknowledge what your weaknesses were, but also be able to demonstrate how you've actually worked on those weaknesses since the last time you met, and you know how you've able, how you've been able to overcome that. One that shows humility and self-awareness, because a lot of people don't even know what they did wrong. Like when they get rejected, you just go rejected and they're like, yeah, i don't know why i got rejected or they blame yeah. everything around them except for themselves and, oh it was just like there was covid or all these excuses right like but yeah. but, but having the self-awareness and humility like people love that but then more importantly they want to see like everyone's got weaknesses but like what are you going to do with that right yeah um, yeah not just saying oh and then so i wouldn't have worked on it but like show don't tell like actually being able to point to real things that you've done as opposed to just like so then i wouldn't try to get better at this well i don't know what that means right yeah um and so that that's awesome man That's amazing um obviously great outcome in the end um i mean ending up by guggenheim from Case western i mean are you the first person who's done that or have have other people from your school gone so
1: it's interesting uh we had I basically, this just goes to show you the importance of networking and knowing the right people. Um, we have, a, we had an alumni at William Blair and he moved over to Guggenheim and that's, I had initially uh, started a conversation with him when he was at Blair, mm-hmm. kept in touch, found out he went to Guggenheim kept in touch with him i really enjoyed talking to him and so you know even if he had stayed at blair i would have kept in touch with him there um just happened he went to guggenheim and uh we were able to keep up the conversation and move forward in that process so
0: got it so you nurtured that relationship over time uh, which we didn't really talk about and that's a whole other conversation i'm not going to dive into right now but it's really really important to nurture your relationship it's not just like a one-time thing hey hit them up for a coffee chat or informational call and then and then like expect that something's going to happen like no you have to really maintain and build a real relationship if you want to turn into something right so but okay that's fair he lateral over but you're the one you're, you're probably the first person to break him directly out of um out of uh whatever under I, I guess yeah in your case in msf so that's a great accomplishment, man. So, I mean, huge congrats on that. Um, I guess, uh, let's wrap it up. Guys, if you've been listening to this, I mean, geez, I have so many takeaways from this call. Uh, <laughs> I I think like, Robin gave a lot of really, really detailed and good advice on really all aspects of recruiting, right? Whether it's the importance of having better credentials, which will just make your life easier in every other area, whether it's networking or interviewing, I think like that's really the foundation of everything you do in recruiting, right? Um, To like networking the right way, right? Both in terms of um, being able to think outside the box in terms of who you network with, not only sticking to just alumni, especially if you come from a school that doesn't have a a whole lot of alumni on Wall Street um, to like, asking better questions during those conversations and having the right mindset and the right approach to the importance of your delivery when it comes to your interview answers or as your behaviors, your technicals. I mean there's so many things we talked about. Um, but if you are currently struggling with any of these things, or you've been trying to do all these things on your own, or maybe you're even like problem like you already been through the recruiting process once and it just didn't work out for you and you wanna have a second crack at it, um, but you know this is probably gonna be your last shot, like whatever it may be, if any of this resonated with you and you feel like, hey, I want the type of help that I've been hearing about on this uh, interview, um, then I wanna encourage you to reach out and schedule a free strategy session with our team. And you know, on the strategy session, we'll just talk to you, ask you some questions. just that call that problem, how we generate in the first place where, um we'll try to understand what your recruiting goals are what challenges you currently have what do you even need help with because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach everybody's different right? you might not even go to the same thing you might go to a totally different school and like the approach might have to change but the point is figure out where you're at and then we can kind of put our heads together and game plan and strategize on you know what the best approach would be and how we may or may not be able to help you along the way. Even if we can't help you, sometimes we talk to people and we're like, no, we're not the best fit to help. Um, we'll still at least just give you some advice and some additional clarity on what's working and what's not working, right? So you can still take that and go out and implement on your own if you want. But you know, oftentimes um, people think that they wanna work with us in which case we can talk about that as well. So if that's interesting to you uh, and that's something that you wanna explore further, Again, you can book this Street strategy session by going on our website www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. Uh, the street's abbreviated to ST, so wallstmastermind.com slash apply. And uh, we look forward to talking to you guys. All right. And hopefully um, helping you guys along this journey. So with that, Pavan, um, I want to thank you for taking the time. Um, we've been going for almost an hour, I think. And so yep. this is one of our longer interviews because Again you, you brought a lot of good stuff and it was um, I think people are going to get a lot of value out of this and uh, I really appreciate you for doing that and just being so willing to share it. and uh, again, super happy for you on your outcome. I'm excited to see what you're able to do uh, not this summer but next summer at a time and uh, all the success that you have ahead of you. now. so um, definitely stay in touch and don't be a stranger and uh, you know you're always part of the family and know that uh we're part yep. of ocean so
1: yeah definitely thanks and uh i'll definitely make sure to keep in touch and stay around yeah so. absolutely absolutely
0: all right guys um that'll be it for today thank you guys for tuning in and uh hopefully you guys enjoyed this and we'll be back with more of these interviews for you guys in the near future all right thanks talk soon bye